Welcome, everyone, to another edition of the Sports Medicine Update, a weekly podcast. Yours truly, Jerry Riles and the Honorable Dr. Chad Padromas. Doc, how are you? Yeah, having a great day, Jerry. How about you? I'm doing fantastic. Dr. Chad with Padromas, Illinois Sports Medicine and Orthopedic Center's weekly podcast. And we always look forward to joining you and having you uh, on board because of the uh, knowledge that you bring to the table, Doctor, the insight that you bring, your perspective, and just to help the average person watching this podcast, listening to this podcast, bring a little bit more uh, education to their world of sports as far as sports injuries and sports medicine are concerned. Uh, we don't want anyone to get injured or, 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 or get hurt uh, while they're out there maybe uh, shooting ball in the driveway with their youngsters or uh, out there on the golf course or you know maybe some skateboarders and with a beautiful summer months here in the Chicago land area. If you happen to be out skateboarding or riding a bike and you suffer some type of injury, we certainly don't want that to happen. But if it does, Dr. Tapadromas is here to support, help you and guide you and advise you throughout your journey. So, you know, we go to the NBA doc and we talk about the bubble and how successful uh, during this pandemic and the coronavirus era that we're uh, currently living in. And we see that the NBA in that bubble down in Orlando are doing a pretty decent job, a pretty good job as far as the testing are concerned with the players and, you know, the low numbers. Uh, we see it's not working so well in Major League Baseball. So what happened with the, uh, the the Marlins down in Florida and, of course, what's currently going on with the St. Louis Cardinals having to cancel games with the Cubs and the, and the White Sox. I think they're expected to get underway back in the business. Uh, sometime this uh, this weekend, uh, we see what's happened with the National Hockey League up in uh, Canada. They're doing a great job controlling everything and still remains to be seen what happens with the National Football League. But we know uh, on the collegiate level and the high school level, sports, fall sports has been effective. But as far as the NBA bubble is concerned and the coronavirus and everything that's happened, there's other news and speculations coming out of the bubble, and we go to Philadelphia with the 76ers and one of their up-and-coming stars, their superstars, Ben Simmons, unfortunately suffered an injury that, you know, put him on the shelf. Joel Embiid, their other star player, had uh, uh, ankle injury, but the surgery, so to speak, and you can correct me on this, I guess uh, we got a call from or a response from one of our, our viewers to ask, the procedure that Ben Simmons underwent, some loose bodies being removed from his left knee. Now, the average person watching and listening to this podcast go, what's, what's a loose body? How do you remove a loose body from an athlete's knee? Is this a new term? And can you shed some light on this loose body treatment that Ben Simmons with the Philadelphia 76ers underwent? Sure. Actually, it's a really old term that goes back before the era of, of, era of arthroscopic surgery. Um, usually, we see it in the context of older people with arthritis. Um, but in his case, and, and by the way, in all cases like this, I have, I have no inside information. And if I did, I couldn't share it anyway. Um, I just, I just you know, read the papers like everybody else. Um, but what's 
pretty clear from what's out there is that he had something called a subluxation of his kneecap. So the kneecap or patella sits in the front of the knee, um, but it's encased in structures called retinaculum. They're kind of like ligaments that hold it in a little groove. Um, and the kneecap can tend to go out of the joint toward the outside. Um, and if it goes out completely, it's called a dislocation. If it goes out partially and goes back in, it's called a subluxation. By all the accounts that I read, he had a subluxation. It's in susceptible people. Uh, you can get it from twisting your knee. It is more often seen in people who are looser jointed than others if it's atraumatic, if you don't get hit with something, which I think was the case with him, although I'm not sure. So what happened was apparently is that the kneecap went out and went back in, but in the process of going out and going in and you kind of got your, you know, the kneecap and it kind of goes out like this and goes back in. And the process of doing that, you can knock off a piece of cartilage. So um, I, I don't want this to be an anatomy class, but the cartilage terminology is a little confusing because there's two kinds of cartilage in the knee. There's what's called articular cartilage that coats the bone, kind of like Teflon on a frying pan or like a nonstick coating, which is what it is. It lets the knee glide. And then there's meniscal cartilage. When they talk about having a torn cartilage, often they're talking about that. So this is probably, this is the articular cartilage that coats the bone. So what almost certainly happened is a piece of that got knocked off and is floating around in the knee. Now, the key thing to know about this is actually that happens reasonably often with this problem. And most of the time we don't take it out. Usually it just kind of scars down. Um, so I don't know if they took it out in his case because if it's a big, a big piece that will float around, it can cause problems. But the other thing is the loose body itself is usually not the main problem. The main problem, if there is a main problem, is the crater that it came from. Because when a piece of cartilage is knocked off, you've got exposed bone underneath. And when you have bone gliding against other cartilage, this can cause all kinds of problems. So I don't know. Maybe this is just a small loose body that they took off just because took out just because he's been sim. It was a good size piece. Now, when you go in to take it out, sometimes you will do something called a microfracture to the remaining cavity. There are other things you can do too, and I haven't read anybody describing this, but there are other uh, techniques you can do. You can even take a biopsy of your cartilage and send it off and grow it and put it back in to grow it. So, um, so you know, it was just kind of interesting because it was first reported as a loose body. But then he was reported as being out for the season. Um, to just go in with a scope after a subluxation and take out a loose body, usually the recovery is very quick. Um, however, if the crater where it came from is of significant size, then the recovery won't be. So, again, I don't know for sure, um, but you know, it'll be interesting to see. He, he's kind of got jeopardy in a couple of places going forward. One, if that crater is big, it can cause problems. And that's the thing, by the way, that derails NBA careers in general, is the articular cartilage just gets beat up and beat up, and pretty soon you don't have much coating anymore. Uh, but the other thing is, the fact that it's subluxated once, um, unless you surgically go in and tighten things up, which I don't think they did, you're, you're kind of prone to having it happen again. Um, the other thing is that the kneecap is part of the quadriceps mechanism. It's, you know, related to that muscle. And that's where you get explosiveness from in jumping. Not really running, but jumping. Running has come more from your hamstrings. So you don't know. A guy like Ben Simmons, who's just an, you know, an unbelievable athlete, I think everybody knows. Uh, you know, a guy who's got the size of a center and the terrific speed and all that. You just have to wonder... If that extensor mechanism, it's called the quadriceps tendon, the kneecap, the quadriceps muscle, 
if that is rendered inflamed, then that's the kind of thing that can kind of cut into your athleticism. Um, and you know, just by comparison a little bit, maybe. Um, so Derek Rose, very explosive athlete, super athlete, right? Just, right. you know, and towards ACL. So the ACL is a ligament that destabilizes the knee. And if you fix it, and he had a you know very good surgeon, did a great job, and it's been fine. That doesn't necessarily lead to a loss of explosiveness. It can, but there isn't anything inherent to the ACL that does. But if you've got cartilage problems on the back of your kneecap or the socket for it, that's the kind of thing that can directly lead to a loss of explosiveness. I'm not saying it will happen. I hope it doesn't happen. But, you know, sometimes that kind of thing should just be the beginning of, uh, you know, attrition of the knee. Hey, Doc, that's great breakdown, a great analogy. Um, as far as the diagnosis is concerned regarding Ben Simmons, uh, did he experience, in your opinion, your, uh, you know, uh, your knowledge of this, did he experience discomfort or, or do you, does this cause, you know, excruciating pain that it needs to be addressed? Because as athletes, you know, uh, younger, older, in between, when you have been an injury or an ailment, in most cases, you feel as if, okay, I can work myself through this pain. You know, for instance, when you get a Charlie horse, you, you, you know, that, that, that muscle tightens up and you figure, hey, I can just, I can tough it out and I can, I can, I can work it out and I'm fine. Um, I think I shared a story uh, a few podcasts back where my son tore his ACL and, you know, for a good month, month and a half, two months, he thought it was just a knee injury. And, of course, once he went in, uh, after the x-ray uh, with the MRI, it revealed that there was a torn, you know, his torn ACL. But for Ben Simmons' situation, uh, is it a discomfort where an athlete can feel like or he felt like, hey, I can just stretch this out, run it out? Or is it excruciating pain that you say, hey, we, we've got to address this immediately because it's a m- lot more serious than what we believe? Yeah, so in some of it, great question. And in fact, there's a spectrum, kind of a continuum. The subluxations usually are not real painful. The dislocations are because there's this thing that's called the retinaculum, kind of like a ligament. And if you dislocate it, usually it ruptures. If you subluxate it, usually you don't. So you usually don't get a lot of bleeding or acute pain, uh, but it's variable um, and you can. So, you know, I, I'm in someone like him, they're going to get an MRI in every case. And so, you know, pain or not, they probably wanted to give it time to heal on its own. And they probably, I guess, saw the loose body, said they wanted to take it out. Or it might have been, um, you know, it, it might have been big enough that they wanted to do something to address they have disclosed. And I mean, why should they? It's nobody's business but his. But usually it's not terrible pain. The other thing that can be bad is if, it's, if it subluxates a little and you go back too soon, uh, it's kind of like with shoulders. The shoulders do the same thing. Um, except with the shoulder, you're not running, so it's a little better tolerated. Um, so it probably could have been, but it, in most cases with a subluxation, it's not horrible pain. But maybe more, maybe it was a good size loose body, or maybe he felt that you can feel this thing. They used to call it a joint mouse um, because it was felt like, you know, uh, in the days before MRIs, like a little mouse running around inside your knee. So um, you can get mechanical problems. You're moving around and this thing's sticking and catching and you have to get it out for that reason. Although for that to happen, that's usually a very large loose body, which usually you 
don't get so much from his injury. So, I mean, my guess is that they got the MRI, they saw it, they knew what happened, they figured they wanted to give him some time off, wanted to get the loose body out sooner than later. Um, but I, I did think it was maybe a little unexpected that they shut him down completely after doing that. Um, you know, makes you wonder if, um, you know, maybe that crater was good size. But I, I don't want to speculate because there's no way to know. No, but that's a great question because everyone's wondering, you know, uh, with this surgery, one, why didn't they know sooner? And two, is this going to affect what happens next year? Obviously, you know, with the pandemic, if we get beyond that, um, they find a vaccine or whatever the case may be and things return back to some sort of normalcy, will Ben Simmons be able to, you know, return and play next season based on what he experienced with this loose body, you know, currently? That's one of the big questions. I'll tell you one thing. So he's a really interesting player and um, um, fabulous athlete, um, all-star, a couple years running, um, point guard at 6'10". But... As is pretty well known, has he scores, but he's just been reluctant to take outside shots. He basically, I don't know, the whole last year, I don't think he took but a half a dozen three-pointers, if that. And he, I mean, he just doesn't like shooting from anything except, you know, 10 feet or whatever on in. I will say this, um, and last year was supposed to be the year that he was actually going to shoot more, and he didn't. And I guess he figures, you know, the team did well, and he's, his game's good enough with that. But I, I do think that... It wouldn't be a bad idea. If, I mean, who am I to give advice? But this might be the time to work on your shot a little bit because, you know, relying on being, you know, a freakish athlete, uh, if you lose a little bit of that, maybe nice to have a, you know, a shot to fall back on. Well, you know, <laughs> from your perspective, from my perspective, it is simply a logical perspective. You know, expand your game. And we've seen the superstars do it, whether it's Michael Jordan, whether it's Magic Johnson, whether it's, uh, you know, currently with LeBron James and Kobe Bryant, what they were able to do uh, uh, with their game uh, to adjust to the game. Unfortunately, uh, you talk about, in my opinion, Ben Simmons and another player comes to mind, uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo with the Milwaukee Bucks, the, 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 stigma on him is the fact that you're right he won't shoot that outside shot as well and even when the bubble um that kind of resurfaced uh that he doesn't have an outside shot and he can't shoot the three-pointer and i know he and kyle corber were working on shooting those three-pointers to open up his game um but ben simmons had the same type of style when he was at uh, lsu i believe in the collegiate ranks uh his pot of goal was at the goal at the rim uh to score and and Athletes, as we know, are creatures of habit, and whatever got them there, they continue to, to, to incorporate that style of play, and I think that's probably one of the reasons those two players in particular, um, you know, they make their bread and butter at the, at the rim uh, inside the paint area, and when you ask them to do something differently to help themselves out as far as expanding their game from beyond the arc, they're, they're, they're not comfortable in doing that, and so they resort back to the game style that they're comfortable with and familiar with and got them to that point, despite what anyone else may say. So um, it is, I say all that to say, uh, you know, he, uh, those are some great athletes, but 
can't really expect them to change their game to the point where it's going to, uh, you know, uh, make them better and elevate their team to the next level because in their mind, their mentality, that's how they play, that's what they're comfortable with, and that's what they're going to continue to do uh, to reach their, 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 their goals and to, to overcome their uh, deficiency, so to speak. Yeah, no, I, you're obviously right. I think Giannis a little more inclined to take outside shots, and he's taken some three-pointers. And he's been he'll take working a, on it. Yeah. He's, I, I remember he's been working on it. There's a press still, conference. Yeah, he's, he's still not comfortable uh, to the to the degree that you want him to be. And when, when it's crunch time, if you watch his game and it's crunch time, um, he's not going to pull up for a three. He's going to take it to the rim and, 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 and do what he's comfortable with. But he has uh, he has tried to expand his game to, to make it a entirely complete game, um, and when you're you know when you're in the talks of MVP, it's hard to argue against that. Um, but with with Ben Simmons, um, he's still somewhat of a young player, and I I, I believe he's still set in his ways, and it's it's going to take a little bit more time, maybe a couple more seasons for him to get comfortable with expanding his game, shooting beyond the arc. But right now, um, I think he's comfortable with you know playing close to the rim. Yeah, that's true. And again, you know, what do I know? But I know that uh, um, you know, my, my daughter was in college in Philadelphia, so she was kind of following them some. So we used to talk about it a little bit. And um, he actually generated some heat from his coach because, you know, his coach is Australian and Ben Simmons is Australian. And uh, see, because he's a point guard that wouldn't shoot. Giannis is a, either a four or a five um, who wouldn't. So it's probably not the urgency. And um, so it, it just kind of puts a premium on having other shooters since he really, you know, since he really wasn't. So um, I don't know, maybe, maybe this will be the thing. And I, I think he's, he, I remember the, in, in a preseason they had videos of him and he, and he seemed like he could shoot it pretty well. And he had a nice stroke. Um, he just kind of wouldn't. And he's, he's taking heat for it. I know Stephen A. Smith, for one, was saying they're going no place. Uh, this is last year before the playoffs. She said, until he takes an outside shot, they're going no place. Maybe he's right, maybe he's wrong. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, um, but. Uh, no, he, he's right. And I, I think that, you know, uh, coming into this after the uh, the long layoff, uh, what is it, 142 days or something, that there was a layoff from, you know, when this pandemic hit to, to getting back to the bubble, um, there were some experts out there that felt that Philadelphia was one of the teams to beat in the East and that they were projected to, um, you know, challenge. Because think about it. Uh, was it uh, Toronto with the uh, Kawhi three bounces that eliminated yeah. them? Yeah. 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 So uh, there were a lot, a lot of uh, people around the country following the NBA that believe that, you know, Philadelphia, this could be the opportunity, the time for them to, uh, you know, to stake their claim and, and make a run for it because of, you know, the personnel. And now yeah. you look at it today and you go, wow, what the heck happened? You know, two of their key components are, are, are down and out and this team is going, you know, nowhere. So uh, strange thing as far as the league is concerned, not only on the court, but, you know, as far as injuries are concerned and, you know, uh, the direction franchises, and, and organizations can go uh, almost in the blink of an eye. As far as the blink of an eye is concerned, I want to switch gears a little bit, Doc, with you, uh, Dr. Chad Pedromas on a weekly uh, podcast, Sports Medicine Update. 
you know, we the National Football League, uh, the players have reported the uh, the rookies were in camp a couple of weeks ago, and uh, now the uh, rest of the personnel, as far as the players are concerned, have reported up to their respective facilities for, for workout, albeit they're still, uh, you know, under protocol as far as COVID testing and, and you know, a social distancing as best as they possibly can. Um, but we look at football and we see the physical specimen of these athletes, and it's amazing, you know, over the years how we've seen the evolution of these athletes. Um, they're bigger, faster, stronger. Um, and we talk about bigger, and we, we focus a little bit on the offensive linemen and, and the defensive linemen as well. But you and I go back uh, a little bit long in the tooth, and we talk about, you know, a 300-pound you know, football player, and that, of course, William Refrigerator Perry with the beloved Chicago Bears and the 85 Super Bowl team. We know that the Dallas Cowboys in their dynasty run with Troy Aikman under center and, of course, Emmitt Smith running a rock for them, they were behind one of the biggest offensive lines the National Football League had ever seen. Uh, we know that players now are well over 300 pounds because of the change in, in the game. But you and I have talked over you know extensive period of time as far as the, the, the health and life expectancy of these players once they leave the professional ranks of the National Football League. And we've seen some players who have really even gotten even bigger once they left the game because of their diets and their workout habits have changed. But we've seen other players who have, if not maintained that playing weight, They've actually gotten smaller, um, and you you you've looked really deeply into this. And I want you to share with our, our viewers and our listeners, you know, your thought behind the players and their physical being from playing, you know, leaving the sport. Do you mind uh, elaborating? I, yeah, I I am. I've been aware of it, and I've looked into it more lately. Uh, the, the COVID thing's kind of brought it to bear because, as we talked about last week, a majority of the people who have opted out are linemen. And, you know, you, you wonder why that would be. So you look at, you know, what risk factors they have. So the combination of obesity and testosterone is a definite risk factor. So heavy men um, do worse with COVID. That's abundantly clear. Um, and, but, you know... Picking out the specific risk factor, so obesity by itself appears to be in a male. But the other thing is that obesity causes all kinds of other problems, um, you know, um, autoimmune problems. Asthma, for example, um, is uh, um, uh, is made worse by being heavy. Now, it's not to say if you're heavy with asthma and you lose weight, it's going to go away. But there's no question that overall it's made worse. Uh, obviously, um, diabetes. <clears throat> you know, definitely made worse. And there are young men who are diabetic or pre-diabetic. Um, and so, you know, I wonder myself, there's not a lot written and that's probably a good thing as to why so many linemen have um, opted out. And I don't know. I don't know if they see the, um, you know, the obesity um, statistics or if uh, I know in the Bears, um, uh, Goldman, um, Eddie Goldman, right? Um, it was just in the paper that he um, that he suffers from asthma, and he's he's a fabulous player. Oh my goodness, you know, big and strong, um, and and that's probably why he's not playing. Because I, I read he is 
out with a designation of high risk. I think they get a little more money or something. Um, but I just think I would love to see um, football turn back the page to where players were 30, 40 years and the guys were big, but like we were talking about earlier, Roosevelt Brown, when I was a kid, Detroit Lions, you know, one of the 100 best players of the, I think, 20th century, whatever, uh, you know, fearsome foursome, right? Defensive tackle. And he was 6'3 and 255, right? So, if you know, he'd be a linebacker today. The guys that are 6'3 are, are 320, 330. And so a few statistics that are kind of interesting. So if you look at um, BMI, um, and I've got a little cheat sheet here prepared. So BMI, body mass index, and it's, it's raw. And this is just size. There's a whole separate variable with um, um, body fat and just percentage of body fat. But um, so a 25 is considered overweight. Now, all NFL players by that, you know, range are, are overweight because they're so muscular. 30 is considered obese. 35, morbidly obese. Say 40 is morbidly obese. But the, the, the numbers I came up on, which is kind of interesting, um, is that first of all, they used to say that NFL players died young. As I looked into it, I found out that it doesn't look like they do so much anymore, except that if you're heavy. So a BMI of 30 obese is said to take three years off of your lifespan. A BMI of 35 is said to take eight years off of your lifespan. And a BMI of 40 is said to take 20 years off of your life. So then you say, well, what do those numbers translate to in terms of height and weight? Well, I'll tell you, 6'4 and 328 is a BMI of 40. So statistically, if you're that size, you cut 20 years off your life on average, obviously. So 6'4 and 328, I mean, that's average size, uh, maybe even below average. I don't know, you know, nose tackles, defensive tackles. Um, and I won't mention names. I was looking up some you know, players around the league. But there are people on the Bears that are bigger than that, and there are people all over the league, offensive line as well. So, um, so um, these players are big because they have to be big, but um, it's it's very unhealthy. And as I mentioned a few weeks ago, and I feel pretty strongly about this, and I'm going to try to see if I can. And see, the thing that, that really bothers me about it is the college players. I read an article from 2013 that said the University of Florida at that time had 12 or 14 players over 300 pounds. This is a college, and I'm sure it's more today. And then this high school there had all these players over 250. So the problem is when the pros are that big, it trickles down. Now, here's the thing. When you get to be that big, there aren't too many people that are 6'4 and 320 that are ripped, you know? And so... So what I'm saying is I would love to see it be the case that if you work out and you're big and really strong and your body fat is low, that's great. But when the guys put on an extra 30, 40 pounds of weight that's mostly fat, it maybe makes them a better blocker or they get the quarterback a little bigger, but it's terrible for their health. And what's even worse is, and this is nobody's fault, you know, but they look at the, the pros. So then if you're playing in college and you want to be in the pros, you, you, you got to be that big. So now you're a college guy trying to be 320. Um, and then if you're in high school and you want to go to a college, you're trying to be 250, 280. So there's all these people that are doing really unhealthy things to their bodies. And I think the whole thing could be rectified, make it a level playing field for everybody. And if you say, well, if you're, you know, if your BMI is over 30, you can't play unless you get a body fat test, which is easy enough to do. There's these little machines where you just stand there and they test it. Unless your body fat is like under 20%. I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago. Um, 
you know, the 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 running backs, the wide receivers have body fat that's like nine percent, right? So twenty percent right. is not super skinny, um, but that could be done. I think it benefits everybody. I think the players would embrace it because then the guy that's three forty, you know, he doesn't want to be three hundred. If everybody, if the lineman he's going against is three forty, but if everybody's, you know, getting down in size, it doesn't disadvantage him. Um, I think then it trickles down to the college, it trickles down to the high school, and you, you'll literally save lives. I mean, people will live longer if that culture could be changed. The owner should like it because their players are going to stay healthier. The players, the players are all about health, right? They're working on helmets that you know you can't spear, you can't tackle, you can't crack back block. That's all great stuff. It should all be about health. So um, I I think that at all levels, if you say, well, BMI has to be limited to 30, which is still pretty heavy. And if you want to be bigger than that, fine. But you've, you've got to be ripped. It's got to be muscle, not fat. Um, and, I, 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 and for the COVID thing, you know, in the UK, they are working on obesity as a risk factor because they know it's a risk factor. Right. That to not happen in this country for, I don't know what, social reasons, people get offended, I guess. But the NFL, I think, could set a great example. And, and I mean, and, you know, th- there's precedent for doing this kind of stuff. I think they could set a great example. I think everybody would like it. Um, I'm intending, I've been doing a little research on this. I'm intending to try to get it out there in the public dialogue, NCAA, um, IHSA in uh, the state, you know, high schools, the pros. I, I think you help COVID, you set a good example, you cut down on diabetes, on heart disease, on autoimmune disease. It's good for the culture. I think it's good for everybody. And I don't see any reason why it can't happen. No, I, 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 I think it's fantastic. I think you're right on point, and uh, it'll, it, it's a great uh, indicator uh, to learn if, if these owners and, and these, these organizations are really, are really concerned about these athletes, um, their health, their livelihood, and more importantly, life after the sport, life after football. Doc, there's more. I'm sure we're just touching the tip of the iceberg as far as this conversation, this topic is concerned. Uh, definitely want to dive back into it a little bit more moving forward regarding the podcast. Uh, it goes real fast, but there's so much wealth of information and knowledge that's uh, coming from this podcast. And we look forward to it every week, uh, the sports medicine update. If people want to get a hold of you, if they want to find out more about what Dr. Chad Madromas uh, does and if they can... You can help them. How did he get in contact with you, Doc? Just call our main number. It's 847-699-6810. Or you can email at ortho at ismoc.net. This question actually came from an email um, from a, a, a viewer listener. Um, so we're, we're happy to talk about sports and bring things here that are of interest. And, uh, you know, always happy to see you as well to help where I can. Well, I'm looking forward to getting more in, in, into this topic, this discussion, because uh, it's definitely we want to make sure everyone's out there having a grand time, having a fantastic time, enjoying themselves, especially with the beautiful uh, weather that we're experiencing. So if you're out there playing golf, if you're out there shooting hoops, or if you're bicycling, swimming, whatever the case may be, we want you to be safe and sound. But if for some reason you sustain some type of sports injury, Dr. Chad Pedromas. Sports Medicine Update, the podcast, where you want to be to find your help, find your aid, find your support. And we love bringing it to you every every week. No question about it. Doc, 
thank you so very much. We look forward to talking with you. Have a great weekend and uh, another edition of Sports Medicine Update Podcast. Take care of yourself. Thank you so much, Jerry.